First Timothy chapter three. First Timothy chapter three. Summers are a busy time out here, so we got a lot of stuff going on. A couple extra things I just wanted to announce and mention. Uh, with garage sale giveaway coming up here, I uh, could use some specific help on Friday, the 9 to 12 shift. We could use at least two more people for that. And also on Friday, the 3 to 5 shift, we could use one more person. Friday morning is really the big time. That's when most people come, and we could really use a lot of help with that. And like I said, great outreach, great opportunity just to say, hey, just like the gospel is free, everything is free there too. So I want to mention that. Also just want to reiterate too about baptism coming up. I always tell people, if you're thinking about baptism, wondering if you should, Come talk to us. Maybe you're recently saved or maybe recently recommitted your life to the Lord or maybe you were never been baptized or you were only baptized as a baby. Should I be baptized again? Come talk to me about that type of stuff. I always tell people if you're being stirred in the heart about it, let's come talk about it and see where we feel like the Lord may be leading with that. But I really encourage you. And maybe if you're not getting baptized, boy, come out and support those that are. It's, it's a wonderful service that we do over there. It's probably one of my most favorite things that we do all out here all year. And if that's something where the Lord's leading you, Definitely want to have you get involved with that. Just two more things here real quick. I don't know if Renee mentioned or not during announcements, but during the months of June, July, and August, uh, the kids always give back there during Sunday school. The money that is being given for June, July, and August is going to Gospel for Asia, and that's a missionary group that we support that sends native missionaries in Asia. So people that grown up, raised there, now that have been saved, are now sent back over there to the mission field to uh, tell people about Christ. Anyway, the money that's being given this summer is all that money is going to buying bikes for those missionaries. So that way they can cover more ground, get a chance to talk to more people, and what a blessing that is. And if you look back in the fellowship hall, towards the fellowship hall to the left, back during the children's ministry area there, you'll see Tony will keep that updated. Every time there's enough money to purchase a new bike, she'll put one up there. Last year, seven bikes were purchased, and what a neat blessing that is. So that's where the money is going for the kids. And one last thing I want to share here is, uh, as you know, we did Belmore VBS uh, last week, uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, went real good. We ended up having, um, I believe, 25, 30 kids from Belmore uh, come on out. So we're really thrilled about that and had a neat opportunity to get a chance to talk to each one of them and show love to them and really hopefully make a spiritual impact in their lives there. So thank you for those that helped. Thank you for those that served and prayed. One last story I want to share, and Jonathan shared this on Wednesday. As he was leaving Belmore after our last uh, session there in Belmore. He was at the stop sign right there at the four-way in Belmore. And one of the songs that the kids sang during uh, worship before that is Ain't It Grand to Be a Christian. And if you know how the song goes, they do the days of the week. And what happens is we usually split it up and have the boys do one day and the girls do another day. And it kind of becomes a competition of who can basically scream, um, for lack of a better word, there's no other better word, scream the loudest the days of the week. And Jonathan was saying as he was stopping there at the stop sign, he said there's kids on each side of the road and they were singing Ain't It Grand to Be a Christian and they were competing on who can say the days of the week the best. So it's neat to hear that, that those words impacted their heart. They're, they're, they remember those songs. And I just think it just had to bless God, even though they may be screaming, that it had to bless God those kids are singing Ain't It Grand to Be a Christian. So thank you for those that help support and uh, need outreach, and we're very thankful for that. So without much further ado, let's have a quick word of prayer and jump right into the message. Uh, Heavenly Father, it is good to be here this morning, excited for what you have to say. And uh, just as uh, Renee was saying there with announcements, lots of stuff going on. We just pray for wisdom uh, for all those upcoming events. We pray for your blessing that each one would just impact the community and touch people's hearts. And Lord, as always, we pray for our men and women uh, just serving in the field in the military. Keep them safe, bring them home safe. And Lord, also for our leaders and our nation's godly wisdom for all decisions. In your name, amen. All righty, 1 Timothy 
chapter 3. We're going to be doing the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 this morning. Now, we're finally to our key verses. I believe every study that we've done here in 1 Timothy 3, we've gone over verses 14 and 15. But we're finally to the point of getting a chance to talk about them. Well, what you see here is these are the key passages in the book of 1 Timothy. It says in verse 14, These things I write to you, that I hope to come to you shortly. That, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And we'll stop right there. So the reason 1 Timothy was written was for us as a church to know how we're supposed to act. Our first few chapters that we did in 1 Timothy, we talked about the foundational truths of a church. A church is supposed to have a time of fellowship. It's supposed to have a time of worship, an opportunity for you to serve, and to have a time of prayer and a time of studying God's Word. Those are the elements of a church. Too often, a church has become this pat-on-the-back country club type thing. The reason we're here, the reason we're created is to go out and tell other people about Jesus Christ. So the purpose of the church is to encourage you, equip you to do that, and then as you leave this building is to go out into the mission field of where you live or where you work or where you go to school and tell people about the Lord. It's that simple. And what has happened is the idea of church too much has become, hey, let's serve us. That's not the purpose of the church. The church is to equip, to build up, to send people out. And that's why we are here. With that being said, this passage now tells us how to do that. Well, the last two chapters have told us about the leadership of the church and how the church is supposed to be run. Well, now we get to some of the meat and bones of this. And as it says right here in verse 15, I write to you so you may know how you ought to conduct yourself. Conduct yourself in the house of God. Some of your translations may have behave. Isn't that an interesting word? How are Christians, how are we supposed to conduct ourselves? How are we supposed to behave? Here's the problem. Too often, if you put a believer next to a non-believer, you can't tell the difference. As believers, our actions, our lives, our words are should be different. We're under a different standard of living. We're supposed to conduct, behave differently. One of the things I always tell people, if they come into my office and they're frustrated about a family member, if they're frustrated about a situation at work, and they'll mention this co-worker, this family member, and what they're doing, and I say, is this person saved? No, no, this person's not saved. One of the first things I always say is you can't expect Christian behavior from non-Christian people. We as believers are called to conduct and to behave differently. We are. Our actions, our lives, our words should be different. Now, depending on what church you grew up in or what denomination you came out of, this word, saint, may mean different things to you. If you really look at what the Bible says about saints, the Bible says we're all saints. Now, some of you may be sitting here thinking, I'm not a saint. The word doesn't mean what you think in the sense of super-Christian. Saint literally just means set apart. Not all it is. So when Paul writes that we're saints, that means we have been set apart from the world. That's where we get that big fancy word sanctified. Sanctified just means set apart. We are set apart from the world. We are supposed to be different. Our actions, our lives, our words should be different. We're set apart. When everybody else at work is whining and complaining, we don't. When everybody else at work is telling off-color stories and cussing, we don't. When everybody else is dressing this way, we don't. We're different. Now the problem is sometimes this has been taken to such an extreme that we are so quote-unquote different that we're bringing attention to ourselves by being so different. I don't think that's what the Lord was trying to do at all. He just says our actions, our lives, our words are supposed to be different. We're supposed to behave differently. We're born again. We're set apart. There's a difference there. It doesn't make us any better. It doesn't make us more holy, if you will, in that sense. We're just saved in the Lord. And so therefore, we're supposed to act different. Turn, if you will, to the book of James chapter 4. God has some really strong words about this. Because what has happened too often 
is we don't separate ourselves. We don't set apart. And so therefore, once again, you can't tell the Christians from the non-believers. James chapter 4, please. Look here in James chapter 4, verse 4. Look at those first two words he uses there in James 4, verse 4. It says, adulterers and adulteresses. Now, some of your translations don't have that, but isn't that a fascinating? That's a strong word, isn't it? Adulterers and adulteresses. Because the way God looks at it is this. When you're saved, you're committed to the Lord to the point that where God says we're betrothed. God looks at us as a husband and wife type relationship. So therefore, as believers, the Bible says we're the bride of Christ, and when we go back to the world and do things with the world, God says you're spiritually cheating on me. You're committing spiritual adultery. Continue on there in verse 4. He says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? God says, you've got to be careful with your friendships. Now, I'm not talking literal friendships here of you know, who you are, your friends. I'm talking about that sense of friendship with the world. As Christians, once again, what the world has to offer, God says, you don't want to hook yourself up with that. You don't. And when it says right there in verse 5 that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. I was talking to a guy one time, and he said he took that verse to mean that almost God has low self-esteem. He, he can't share us. He feels, you know, uh, like, well, the world has so much to offer, and so therefore there's almost inadequacy. No, it's not that type of jealousy. It's a jealousy of God loves you so much, he wants what's best for you. So since he loves you so much and he wants what's best for you, he wants you to be full of him because he knows that's what's best. So therefore, when we jump back into the world, into those things of the flesh that cause problems and dangers in our life, it hurts God because he says, that's not what I want for James. I want more for him. I'm jealous for him because I want everything that's best for him. Let's build on this one more time. Go to 1 John chapter 2, please. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. This is also some pretty straightforward stuff. We're not supposed to be friends with the world. Well, look here in 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 15. It says, Do not love the world, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. God says you're not supposed to love the world. Now, does this mean that you're not supposed to love what's in the world? The creation, certain things? No, there's certain things you, you would love. That word world literally means cosmos. And it means the system. God says don't love this system. The system of lust the system of pride, the system of greed. He goes, that's what you're not supposed to love. He goes, don't get caught up in that. He goes, if you're caught up in this world, this cosmos, this system of pride and lust and greed, he goes, man, that's not me. Because I'm not in you with that. And look at verse 16. This is that sin, that lust we're supposed to stay away from. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Go ahead, spend the rest of the service if you want. Try to find a sin that does not meet one of those three categories. Everything we do falls into one of those categories. Everything we do is either a lust of the flesh, a lust of the eyes, or it's a pride of life. God says when our life is being run by that sin, the Father is not in us. And this is what Paul is trying to say here. Our conduct, our behavior as Christians should be different. We are saints, hagios, set apart. We are sanctified, set apart. We are different from the world. And so therefore, since we're different from the world, our actions and lifestyle is supposed to show that. Too often, you can't see the difference between the believer and the non-believer in the way we speak, in the way we act, our lifestyle, the way we dress, etc. God says there's supposed to be a difference there. We're set apart. So what are we supposed to do with that? Well, 1 Peter chapter 4 is a very powerful passage. It says judgment begins at the house of God. 
God says we should look at ourselves in the spiritual mirror and say, what areas am I struggling with? What areas am I lacking in? Because those are the areas that I need to be changed. If I'm set apart, God, I want every area of my life to be totally committed, devoted to you. That's what I want. And he says, too, that we're supposed to take a look. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says he doesn't want to become disqualified. So therefore, he subjects himself to discipline because he says, I want to make sure I'm living the life. And he comes out in 2 Corinthians 13 and he goes, test yourself. Spiritually test yourself. Is your life different? Once again, as Christians, we're not the ones doing the cussing and telling the stories. We're not the ones where our neighbors say, yeah, I know them. We're the ones where they're always yelling and screaming and throwing things at each other. We're different. The way we act and behave and the reason we're different is because we have been born again through Christ our life is now different. And so since we are different, our conduct is different. And why does God want our conduct to be different? Look at the rest of verse 15 there in 1 Corinthians 3. Because the pillar and the ground of truth, look at that, the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Some of you may have a translation that says foundation. But it's that pillar and foundation of truth. What's the first thing you do when you're trying to build a house? You lay the foundation. And after you lay the foundation, what do you do? You put up the pillars. You start framing it. Now the problem is you don't think about that too much, right? You can't see the foundation here. It's covered in carpet. You can't see the pillars of the framing because it's covered in paint and drywall. But those things are there, and those things are vital. See, the problem is we judge a lot of buildings by just the way it looks. Well, it's painted nice. Yeah, what's the foundation look like? What's the pillars? What's the framing look like? See, as a church, God says, I care about what your pillar, and I care about what your foundation looks like. And the pillar and the foundation is found in what? Verse 15, truth. You've heard us say this all the time out here. There's three truths in the Bible. Jesus said he is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. And God's word is truth. Those three things. And how many times have we said it? If you build your life off of Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God's word, you're going to be in pretty good shape. The problem is people don't build their life off Christ. They build themselves off some version of God they have. They don't let the Spirit lead their life, and they let themselves lead their life. And then also they don't have God's word be the truth. They think they know what's best. Well, therefore, they're not listening to truth. They're listening to their own created being of truth. It has to be God. It has to be his word. It has to be Christ. Turn, if you will, to John 18. The world has been looking for truth here for thousands of years. Go to John 18, please. John 18. Let's talk about what this idea of truth is. Because the problem that you have in the world today is everybody has their own version of truth. Well, if it's truth, it doesn't contradict each other itself. But the problem is, your truths contradict my truths. Well, then one of us doesn't have truth. So what is truth? If we're supposed to be a church that's built on the pillar and the ground, the foundation of truth, what is truth? Look at John 18. You have a great conversation here that Jesus has with Pilate. This is after Jesus has been arrested, and he's standing before Pilate. Pilate was the Roman ruler at the time, and he said that he's going to judge Jesus to see whether he should be put to death or not. Verse 33 of John 18. It says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium, that's the government center, again called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priests, have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. So that should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus said, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? When he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Now, isn't this fascinating? It's an amazing conversation. And it's summed up in verse 37. <clears throat> Jesus says, I should bear witness to the truth. 
Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. Isn't that what truth is? Truth is Christ. The followers of Christ. So there, we're in it. That's us. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. No word of the Lord We're part of the truth. What a beautiful system it is. What a beautiful setup it is that we are part of this. But you know, isn't it fascinating? The world is still trying to look for that truth. Look at all the questions answered. Pilate asks a question in verse 33. Jesus answered. Pilate asks a question in verse 35. Jesus answers. Pilate asks a question in verse 37. Jesus answers. Pilate asks a question in verse 38. What is truth? Jesus doesn't answer that one. Now why doesn't Jesus answer that? Maybe because he already answered it. Maybe the end of verse 37 is the answer. I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. So when Pilate says, what is truth? Jesus says, I already told you, I'm true. Maybe Jesus didn't answer because Pilate didn't want to really know. Look at this. And when he had said this, he went out again. Haven't you ever been talking to somebody maybe about the Lord and the subject of God comes up and you can tell, they don't want to talk about it. They just want to leave. So they ask these little rabbit trail questions. Now, I'm not saying I got it all figured out. But I can tell when someone's interested and not interested. And if someone's not interested, I say, hey, here's my number. Here's my email, whatever. Call me. Let me know if you want to talk. We'll get together and talk. And I'm thinking in my heart, I can tell they're not interested. Maybe Jesus said, Pilate, I know you're not interested. You ask what is truth, but you really don't want to know. See, people are spending their whole lives trying to figure out what truth is. And so we have this statements now that all religions are the same. You realize how silly that statement is? If all religions are the same and all religions have truth in them, what about all the contradictions? That doesn't make any sense. Just like it blows my mind when someone comes up and says to me that they don't believe that there is any truth, that there can be no solid truth. We all create our own truth. But what happens if my truth is I'm allowed to rob from you, steal from you? Well, I don't think that's real. Well, that's my truth. So if it's my truth, that can be it. If truths contradict, something has to be wrong. In this world we live in, truths, supposed truths, are contradicting each other all the time. We can't sit here, hold hands, and sing Kumbaya and say that the Muslims and the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Christians are all serving the same God with different names. That's not truth. We can't. As Christians, we're called to truth. Truth is Christians is Christ. See, that's what it is. When someone comes up and says, I'm a Christian, they say that they're following Christ. Well, if you're following Christ, he is truth. It blows my mind when someone comes up to me and says, oh, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. Yeah, but I, but I, I don't know about the whole Jesus thing, but I believe in God. And, and I don't know about all these other religions. They can work that out on their own, but I just know I believe in God. I'm going to be honest. I don't know what type of Christian that is. Because a Christian, once again, means follower of Christ. Follower of Christ means you follow Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I don't know how you can be a Christian, but not believe that Jesus is the only way. And see, and this is what happens. This idea of truth has become so diluted that there is no more truth in the world. And that's where our job as Christians is to present the truth. Now the problem is when you present the truth, it's not going to be well received sometime. We've said out here before, as soon as you say the only way to get to heaven is through Christ, you just offended about three billion people. It's not good to have three billion people angry at you. But the truth of the matter is, that's the truth. When we get up here as Christians and say, hey, I believe certain lifestyles are right, I believe certain lifestyles are wrong, I believe certain things are good, I believe certain things are bad, those are truth. And we know those are truth because God's word says those are true. Well, not everybody's going to agree with that. And so the world is saying, what is truth? We're saying we have the answer. The answer is Christ. It's his word. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, they may not want to accept it, just like Pilate really didn't want to know the answer, but it's our job to present the truth and see what happens and go from there. So just as Christ is the foundation, 1 Corinthians 3 says, there is no other foundation that can be laid other than Christ. Now, we either believe that or we don't. If we believe that, then that's the truth that we need to present to people, that Christ is the one that fixes lives, fixes marriages, and takes care of things. That's the truth. 
Because it's all about Him. Ephesians 1, uh, 22, you don't need to turn there, says, He put all things under His feet and gave Him, meaning Christ, to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills all in all. So we believe that Christ is everything. Colossians 1, 18 Colossians 1.18 says, And he, meaning Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. So as Christians, we believe it's Christ. That's the truth. So a lot of times when I talk to people, I don't ask them if they believe in God. Because everybody believes in God to an extent. You know, the Bible says that even the demons believe in God. Have you ever thought about that before? Satan believes in God. Satan knows he's real. So I don't ask people if you believe in God. I ask people, I said, who is Jesus to you? That's a better question, I think, for me. Because I want to know who do they think Jesus is. Because if you ask them, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. And they'll tell me all about God. I, I believe in God. I pray to him all the time. And I, and I, know, God, I know God loves me. But well, who's Jesus to you? Well, I mean, I don't know about Jesus, but I believe in God. See, that's the problem. You can't have that access to God unless you have Christ. See, we just talked about this. First Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 5. Just jump back one chapter. It says, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Isn't that what Christianity is all about? Christ bridges the gap between man and God. So when someone says they're a Christian, but they don't believe in Jesus and his death on the cross, how can you have that relationship with God? That's not truth. How simple has God made it? This is a point that I keep bringing out and, and when we go through 2 Corinthians, and we're doing that on Wednesday nights, there's a, a verse I love in 2 Corinthians. It talks about the simplicity of Jesus. How simple is it? God's in heaven. We're on earth. Our sin, what we have done wrong, keeps us from heaven, keeps us from a holy, perfect God. So God came down in the form of a man, Jesus, to die for man's sins, to bridge the gap between man and God. How simple is that? And that's the truth. And that's what we're here to do, is to present that truth. And God uses us. Because this phrase here, pillars, in verse 15, pillars also refers to humans. In Galatians 2 and in Revelation 3, the Bible talks about us being pillars. Some of you are a pillar in your house. You're a pillar where you work. You're a pillar at school. You're the only light and truth in a dark, confused world. God says you're a pillar there. That's what God's called you to do. This world is dark. It's full of sin. God called us to be light. This world is confused. They don't have the truth of salvation through Christ. God has come and asked us to be truth. We are pillars at, at home, at work, and at school. And you know what pillars do? They carry all the weight. It's hard, doesn't it? For anybody that's ever worked in a place where the only Christian, you know how difficult that is. If anybody has been in a marriage or in a house, in a family, where you're the only believer, you know how difficult that is to carry that load. But God says, I'm your foundation. So you're the pillar, but I'm your foundation. I keep you going. Now, the only way we know this is because that's truth. Now, the problem is if you walk out of this lesson today saying, well, I hear what you're saying, but I still believe that we're all kind of working towards the same goal in all religions, and you know, who are we to say what's right and who are we to say what's wrong? And you're missing the whole point of the lesson. I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm saying this is what the Bible says. The Bible says it's truth. Jesus said it's truth. The Holy Spirit said it's truth. So therefore, I say it's truth. My words carry no weight, but God's word does. As Christians followers of Christ. We either believe that or we don't. If we don't believe these truths, how can we call ourselves Christians then? And why do we need to know this truth? Because once again, we're in a dark, confused world. Look at verse 16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Isn't that a fascinating phrase, without controversy? Jesus is the most controversial person that ever lived. But yet Paul says, without controversy. You know why? Because from the eyes of God, and from the Bible's perspective, and from us, our perspectives as Christians, there is no controversy. There's no debate. It's Jesus. The world is the one that has a controversy about this. Once again, if you want to make a lot of enemies, just stand up and say, I believe Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. 
I believe what the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation is true. I believe that God has asked us to live this type of lifestyle. You're going to run into a lot of problems. You're going to run into a lot of controversy. It's not that there's a controversy on whether it's true or not. People don't want to accept the truth. Hence, that's why it says in verse 16, the mystery of godliness. It's a mystery to the world because they're not saved. The Bible says their eyes are veiled. Have you ever tried to explain God to someone who's not saved? Best example I've ever heard is trying to explain colors to someone who's been blind since birth. There's no concept. Try to explain that to someone who can't see. Well, there's different hues of red. Well, what's red? Well, you know, red means it's red. They're blind. They have no idea, no concept. So you go up to someone who's not saved and you say, hey, as a husband, I want to love my wife as Christ loves the church. I want to keep myself pure. I only want to think of my wife. You want to think of only your wife? Come on, there's all these other people to look around at and stuff. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, you can look at the menu, but you just don't order. And I'm thinking, you know how stupid you sound. But that's what happens. It's a darkness. They're, they're veiled. They don't get it. It's a mystery to them. Now, to me, it's without controversy. This is the way I want to live my life because this is truth. But to them... It's mystery, it's controversy, because they don't see. Look how simple this is. Keep remembering that verse. That verse out of Corinthians. I think it's 2 Corinthians 9, 6, off the top of my head. The simplicity of Christ. Look at this. God was manifested in the flesh, born in a manger, justified in the Spirit. Some of your passages may say vindicated. The Holy Spirit came and sat on his shoulder there at the uh, baptism. And also Jesus rose from the dead. He was vindicated, justified by the Spirit. That showed he was accepted by God as a sacrifice. We say this every Easter. Any one of us could die on the cross for the sins of the world. The problem is we'll still be in the grave. I can get on a cross right now and say, I'm dying for your sins. I'm not going to rise three days later from the grave. Christ's resurrection shows that he was justified by the Spirit. Seen by angels, the heavenly realm accepts him. Preached among the Gentiles, that's what we're doing right now. Believed on in the world, that's what's happening right now. Received up in glory. The Bible says that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. No controversy. How simple is this? Born as a human. Holy Spirit says he's God. Heavenly realm says he's God. He's preached on in the world, believed on in the world, received up in glory. There's no controversy about that. The only controversy is when people choose not to believe, when they choose to reject truth. What happens when you reject truth? When you reject truth, you live in fear, not faith. When you reject truth, you live in confusion, not wisdom. When you reject truth, you live in darkness, not light. We all know someone that is not saved, and they're living in fear, they're living in confusion, and they're living in darkness. They don't have the truth of Christ. It's our job as the pillars to point them towards Christ. Why? Because look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. They're sanctified by the word of God in prayer. God says, as we get closer to the end, verse 1, people are going to leave, depart from the faith. The Bible says that there's a great falling away. Boy, don't you see that now? That's one of the, the greatest pains I have as a pastor, is when I see somebody who at one time seemed to be so strong growing in the Lord, and then they just start to disappear. Most of my job during the week is spent tracking down the sheep that are going backwards instead of forwards because you're concerned about them, you love them. And you see this falling away happening, and you're like, no, Lord, not them. What happens? When you get your eyes off the truth, you go backwards instead of forwards. That's exactly what it is. This is why we preach so much. Be in the Word. Be in prayer. Be in church. Find a place to serve because those help ground you. That helps make you a pillar connected to the foundation of Christ. There are no solo Christians. There are no island Christians. And anytime I see somebody trying to do it on their own, oh, I don't need the church, 
they're missing out on everything. They really are. You need the support, encouragement. Oh, I think I'm doing fine. Of course you think you're doing fine because you're not around anybody else. It's amazing how good you look when you have nothing to compare it to. If I don't look at some guy in shape, I think I look pretty good. If I don't see somebody over six foot, I think I'm tall. It's amazing how when you have no comparison, I'm not saying you compare yourself to other believers, but when you're not around the truth, you probably think you are doing okay. And I hear this all the time. When I see somebody who's not involved or just not deep in their walk, I think, I think we're doing okay. Appreciate your concern, Pastor, but we're doing fine. I'm always thinking, you know what? You, you don't know what fine is. Or you may be doing fine at this moment. But as we talked about in the book of Ecclesiastes a couple books ago, the storms of life are going to hit you. When they hit you, you want to have that foundation because it is going to rain one day on your parade. And that's why we invest in our walk with Christ now to have the strength when the going gets tough in the future. Because the Bible says there is a departing from the faith. There is a falling away. Why? Well, there's three falsehoods that's going to pop up. The first falsehood is false teaching. Look at the end of verse 1. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. My goodness, there's false teaching all over the place. I got saved 18 years ago. I thought there was a lot of false stuff on the radio and TV then. Now it's just unbelievable how much falseness is out there. And, and you know, we, we call it false teaching. God goes one step further. Deceiving spirits doctrines of demons. See, the thing is, we think in the end times that it's going to be very godless. It's not going to be godless at the end times. It's going to be very religious. I personally believe that when the Antichrist comes on the scene, I think he's going to name drop God a lot because there's going to be this fake, false religion. There's going to be this fake godliness and there's going to be this doctrine of demons. It's going to be a twisted form of beliefs in Scripture. We have to be prepared for that. That's why we need to know the truth now because we know the falseness is coming. See, the problem is when you have that false teaching, it doesn't lead to faith in God. It leads to fear. I mean, what happened a month ago? Some guy got up and said the world was going to end, right? And so he got up and said the return of Christ was going to happen. I, I can't remember the date. I think it was May 14th. Well, if you know the truth of God, that doesn't shake you because the truth is not fear. The truth is faith. Well, the truth says no one knows the day or the hour, so there's nothing to worry about. Well, the problem is if you don't have the truth, that's going to shake you and you're going to have fear. Well, now he says it's going to happen in October. What's going to happen in October? People probably get scared again. That's not truth. When you don't know truth, you get shaken by those things. We did a hospital visit uh, yesterday. As we were doing this hospital visit, uh, Dawn was up seeing somebody, and I had the four boys. I was down in the waiting room waiting on her. And this gal came and uh, gave us all these little bracelets that have um, just a couple little beads on them. And they're the beads that when you go out in the sun, they change color. And so the point was, she's sitting there talking to the boys, and she says, you know, when you guys go out in the sun, when these change color, that's there to remind you to put sunscreen on. And so, okay, and so I told the boys, okay, so you know what, we'll put these things on. And so when they change color, guys, that's our way of saying, okay, let's go get in the shade. You know, you don't want to get sunburned and things like that. So we all have them on, so we're getting ready to go out. I'm taking the boys out to the van. Dawn's still visiting somebody. So I got, I'm pushing Layden in the stroller. Elias is in the middle, and he's holding Judah's hand, and he's holding Kenan's hand. We all have our little bracelets on. As soon as we get walk out in the sun, what happens? The little beads change color, right? Because that's what's supposed to happen. Well, we're about 50 yards from the van. The boys totally freak out. Because <laughs> they were just told, because they think anybody that works in the hospital is a doctor. I'm not picking on this lady, okay? She's what I call one of the pink ladies. You know what I'm talking about? She, she's volunteering her time, appreciate very much. She's not a doctor. She's giving out bracelets to kids. Very nice woman. The boys freak out. She said, when these change color, we need to either get sunscreen on right away or we need to get in the shade. Kenan is almost in tears because he's worked up about it. Elias, the firstborn, he's going to save the world. He's taking Judah and Kenan. He's just running for shade. 
I'm trying to tell them, guys, it's okay. It's just there to remind you. No, their truth is, when that changes color, they have to be in the shade immediately, or they have to get sunscreen on. They had a twisted version of truth, which was not faith, but fear. And when they had that twisted version of truth, that's what happened. They were confused. Same thing happens spiritually. We're not in the truth, and so when these things of the world pop up, we get afraid, we get scared, we get worried, we get anxious. And God says, no, you're my child. You don't have to worry about that. I just read a great devotional this week where it said so simple, and we've heard this passage before, if God takes care of the flowers, how much more will he take care of you? And that phrase, the, the author focused on that phrase, much more. None of you are losing sleep right now over your dandelions in your yard. None of you are losing sleep on that little sparrow. Does he have enough to eat? If God takes care of them, the Bible says, how much more will he take care of you? Now that's truth. So therefore, we trust that truth. No matter what happens with my job, God will take care of me. No matter what happens with the doctor's office visit, God will take care of me. No matter what happens with fill in the blank, God will take care of me. How much more will he take care of us? That's truth. What happens when we get our eyes off the truth, we get dark, confused, we get scared. False doctrine. Look at the next false one, verse 2. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now you have false leadership. These leaders are hypocrites. I don't even know if that's a word. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Um, they're lying. They're hypocrites. Their own conscience seared, meaning they are so focused on themselves, they're not even thinking about the things of God anymore. And people follow these guys. Why do they follow them? Because they don't know the truth. So since they don't know the truth, they look at these people. Well, they sound right. He's standing up there with the Bible in a pulpit. He's on television. He sure seems like he knows what he's talking about. That ain't truth. When you know truth, you can see that in verse 2. And what else do you have? You have this false leadership, and now you have this false religion. Look at verse 3. Forbidding to marry, committing to, to abstain from foods, etc. What was happening back during Paul's time is the people were saying, well, you know what? If you're really religious, you're so focused on God, you won't get married. If you're really religious, you won't eat this, you'll do this and that. And what happened was, it was a religion, not a relationship. And so what happens is this. Same thing still happens today. People trust in religious things to make them right with God. You can't be made right with God by jumping through religious hoops. I'm not trying to pick on any denomination or group, but I'm just telling you right now, if you're trusting in some type of sacrament, or if you're trusting in some type of baptism, or some type of catechism to make you right with God, the only way you're right with God is through Jesus Christ, relationship with Him. And I'm not trying to talk about the merits of those things. I'm just talking about nothing makes you right with God except for Christ. You know, out here we're doing a baptism next week. I just want to plug that again. If you feel led to get baptism, I can't stress this to you enough. If, if you've never been baptized or maybe you're only baptized as a kid, it didn't mean anything to you, or maybe you've fallen away and come back, come talk to me about baptism. It's a wonderful step in your walk with God to publicly confess Christ, to show the world I'm saved. That's what it means and represents. But if you're trusting in that baptism to make you right with God, that's not what baptism is. Baptism is that you're saved, and now you want to publicly confess that to the Lord. See, now the thing is out here, we're really smart people, right? We know those religious hoops don't mean anything. problem is out here, in the back of our mind, we start thinking, well, Lord, I read two chapters today and one chapter, so you've got to be really happy with me. Lord, I prayed for 20 minutes today instead of 10 minutes today, so you've you got to be really happy with me. I'm the one that signed up when no one else signed up, so you've got to be really happy with me. Well, God is joyful as a father when he sees us spend time in prayer, when he sees us serve, and when he sees us read his word. Yes, he is. But if you are doing those things to make you right with God, you're misunderstanding God. Because God loves you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? He just loves you. Now, 
He's not happy with some of the choices you make, but he still loves you. You can't make yourself more right with God by doing something. You're made right with God by accepting Christ as your Savior. That's what that phrase means, is to be made righteous, means to be made right. You're not righteous, I'm not righteous. But when I accept Christ as a Savior, his righteousness becomes my righteousness, and so therefore I am right with God. I had a friend that used to describe it this way, that when you get saved... God kind of puts on his Jesus glasses, and so when he looks at James, he doesn't see James the sinner. He says, sees Christ in me. And that's what it is. God, Christ's righteousness covers me, and my sin is taken care of through him. I'll be the first one to say, I'm not a religious person in any way whatsoever, but I have a relationship with Christ. And see, and this is what it's talking about here in verse 3. There was this religious attitude on this is what I need to do to be made right with God. No, that's a false religion. And that's what's going to happen in the end times. You're going to see this false religion. There's a lot of religious people out there. They jump through the religious hoops and they think they're okay with God because they're going through these religious hoops. No, it's through Christ and Christ alone. Hence, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. That's the most important thing. And that's what we're trying to remember here. So when Paul writes this and he says back in verse 15, the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth, it's all about Christ. It's not about us. It's all about him. And we need to make sure as a church, we stick to those truths. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that there's a lampstand the church has. And that's your light and witness to the world. And that Jesus says in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, that if the church is not being a light and witness to the world, he comes and takes that lampstand out. Haven't you ever seen a church die? It's a sad thing. When this church used to be so alive and active, and all of a sudden it just starts dying. Why? Because they're no longer focused on the truth of Christ and spreading the gospel. They're focused on themselves. The purpose of the church is to get out there and see souls get saved and to encourage you to do that and to go deeper in your walks with the Lord. That's why we're here. And that is what you see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in the house of God. Marv, if you can come forward here for the final song. can't stress to you enough 